Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I am Pastor Chad. And... What do you Cana? So I'm going to confess, I was on vacation and did not hear you. Slacker. About, so, about wine. Yeah, so I... This is an interesting and a challenging text. Yes. And I think... So all of your non-Christian friends love this text and will jokingly tell you that this is the reason they would consider Christianity because this is the coolest thing. Jesus is a party dude. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, like, like that makes me want to maybe be Christian. And I'm like, well, maybe that's not the reason. But again, jokingly so. But I think on the flip side, people who are anti-alcohol or struggle with alcohol. As this is say, a who, really who have addictions. Yes. This is a challenging text, especially because it's Jesus's first miracle or sign, as John calls them. I, and I, I, that's yeah. One of the things I, I didn't go into a lot of detail with, not that you would know. Um, one of the things I didn't go into a lot of detail with was you know Jesus's mother pushing him to do this. Right. Yeah. He was reluctant. He didn't want to do that. And then and then I think the 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 the, you know, the the other piece of that is not only did she push him he didn't want to do it and she pushed him to do it. What would have what would Jesus's ministry have looked like had he not done it? Had he not? You know, was he content and we don't know this was because it's really early in John's gospel. Was he content to just kind of I don't know what, be a dude, and then, are we allowed to call Jesus dude? Probably not. I just did. You just did, and I, I've known a few. We'll rely on grace and it. forgiveness. So, so Jesus well, I mean, is the dude. Right, so Jesus, <laughs> I, was he content to just kind of go through life without these extravagant you know, miracles and signs and just be like the teacher? Well, like, until, until you get to the cross and the tomb. I don't... I don't know that I believe that, but... Well, yeah, I mean, there's he wasn't just ready. that whole, my time has not yet come thing. Right, wasn't, he wasn't ready. It, well, that it wasn't even what the miracle was. It was just, this isn't, you know, what does this, this have to do with anything? Right. It kind of was, was, is the feel I get with it. He's like, well, woman. <laughs> he talks to her. So we talked about that, too. <laughs> And so I, I asked the congregation how many people have ever called their mother woman. <laughs> and two people at 9.30 raised their hands. Really? And I said, so you two and Jesus are the only people to live to tell about it. Pretty much. Nobody else is living to tell about that. Anyway. Um, yeah. So he's like, well, what is, I mean, he literally is like, what, is, what does any of this have to do with us? Why, why right. do we care? You know, right. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of his, his, his point. And then. What I love about his mom and her response is you can almost, if you were like watching it, you can almost see just her looking at him like, oh, aren't you sweet? Turns around and goes, yeah, do whatever he tells you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's just like, she's like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> and, and, and that ended up being the, the primary focus of my sermon. Right. That, you know, Mary or, yeah, Mary saying to them, servant, do whatever he tells you. But... I, I, I think it is an interesting um, thought, rabbit hole to go down, 
to what would Jesus' ministry have looked like had she not pushed him at this point to do this? Because we know that Jesus, Jesus really thought his time was the cross and the tomb. So there's also the reality, though, to play devil's advocate here, that this story is only told in John's gospel. Correct. So this particular moment of pushing, if we're looking at the other gospels, I mean, just to say, what would it have looked like? Well, it probably would have looked like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it was. It's a different starting point. It's a different um, focus. Kind right. Of, you know, and, and 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 not to jump ahead to this week, but this week the the, the text is Jesus cleansing the temple which is at the very beginning of John's gospel, and in the other three gospels, it's right before he gets killed. Right. So, again. And, well, it, and there, there are a lot of differences in that one. I mean, we'll talk more about that next week. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. But. Yeah, but yeah, there's, there's, there's different... So John has an agenda is the point. Yeah, like, John has John an has agenda. a different agenda. And, well, he has a different agenda. Um, it's a different literary style. I was going to mention that very as well. well aware of. Yep. Yes. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's, it's John is writing it as more of a Greek drama. John is not trying to give a historical, historical account no. of what happened with Jesus because he rearranges things. Yeah. Um, rearranges things and they have a different, they have a different meaning. Correct. Um, they, they, the, the reason he's doing something is different than it is in the what we call the synoptic gospels right. um, or the gospels that have the same basic synopsis um, and yeah it, it's it, it's interesting because again I come at it from that that standpoint of how would Shakespeare tell the story versus how would um, Stephen King or um, Quentin Tarantino or somebody like that who's being given you know, here's the story, now I want you to retell it in your own way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what's your, you know, how are you going to frame it? How are you going to tell it? How are you going to, to put this forward? And, and John definitely has his own agenda, has his own ideas of what he's trying to get across. Also written much, much later. Um, right. Than, than the other Gospels. It is very clearly post-resurrection. Post, um, you know, very, very clearly, because again, not to give away next week's text, but next week's text, you know, kind well, of mentions that. Yeah, I mean, they're all written post-resurrection. Correct. But but they don't they it's, don't. It's, it's not post-temple as part of it. Is is yeah. the temple has because we believe John was written the earliest. It probably was written was around ninety, um, which is one of the later later dates. Probably written somewhere around ninety A.D. and um, his, his audience, his goals are very different than, you know, Luke states quite plainly why he's writing his. Yep. He's like, I am writing this because I want to put down an orderly account of things that happened. Yeah, and John's like, order. Yeah, John's like, this is so you may believe. Order schmorder. Yeah, um, John, John is less concerned about order, but he says, I, I, you know, these, he says at the end of it, he gives the, Luke gives at the beginning why he's writing it. John at the end tells us why he wrote his, which is this, I've written this basically so that you may come to believe. Right. So that you may come to believe in who this Jesus person is. Um, so kind of a different agenda. 
Um, not that Luke wasn't writing so people would believe, but, but Luke was more concerned about, I'm going to get the facts. Well, so here, so yeah. here's, some people need to hear things differently, right? So there are people that need it to line up historically for it to be real or factual. And Luke, Luke provides that. You know, there's, there's, you know, Luke is very intentional with timing and, and linking you know, historical events with we, you know, we in, live in a in society that probably would, would struggle a lot with, that does struggle a lot, I think, with John's gospel because it doesn't fit. Right. It, it, it doesn't fit with the others. Right. And we're like, well, wait a minute. That's not how our society looks at things. Our society, how we function, what truth is, et cetera, et cetera, is a very different criteria. We have a different way in which we read things. Oh, that's where did. understanding it's a literal... It's literal and not historical. Right. Like there's like it's doesn't mean that doesn't mean it's different. It doesn't mean the doesn't mean it's not true. The, the result is not different. Yeah. But the way you get there. Yeah. And 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 recognizing there's symbolism. Um, right. So much symbolism, and uh, you know, and I'm not discounting the fact that John may also just be picking up on different things that he found important. John but, liked the wine. Oh, yeah, John liked the wine. John liked the wine in a good wedding. But it, like I said, there's, there's that recognition that things are moved around. They aren't in the same order. They aren't, you know, and, right. and even when you get to uh, the crucifixion story, uh, the Last Supper doesn't happen on Passover. It happens on the day of preparation. Um, you know, well, what's the meaning of that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, right. it's which we'll get to when we get to that point. Um, right. We'll talk more about that. Um, as, as we approach uh, Holy Week, but, which, wow, we're already having to think about that. Holy Week's that far off. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. So, one of the, so I thought it was also interesting, um, it's, it's the only instance of a wedding, so we get this idea of a wedding, and then I think we really, I took some time to break down that, you know, so a wedding in today's culture, you know, you kind of set up a guest list and a budget and then you figure out who you can invite and then you cut people that you know so so for Christine and I when we did our wedding you know, we looked at our, our initial guest list we're like this is gonna be a really expensive family reunion I don't want to pay this much for two family reunion two separate family reunions at the same time so we ended up you know kind of maybe uh amending our guest list a little bit um I had to have two receptions Oh, wow. Well, I was a pastor at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. So I had True. to have the one for the church. Yeah. And then I had to have the real party. No. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so, you know, and wed and, you know, so weddings in, back in the day, the guest list was kind of Cana. Like, it wasn't, like, it was a huge community thing. And it wasn't, you know, I, I, I use, you know, you don't show up, you exchange vows, you exchange rings, you know, you have, you know, Cocktail hour with some bacon wrapped scallops. We'll talk about bacon wrapped scallops in a minute, and then you have the re the dinner, the reception, and you're and you're done. This was a three day affair, right? Ba bacon wrapped scallops. I'm pretty sure were not present at this particular. No, wedding. but okay. So what is what is what is like the most popular current day cocktail hour um, hors d'oeuvre? I'm, I'm saying bacon-wrapped scallops. Okay. I, I mean, and then I found out that the wedding we're actually, I'm actually doing uh, with, with a young couple in our congregation, 
they're not doing bacon-wrapped scallops as part of their uh, hors d'oeuvres, um, which made for a funny exchange during, during the service. It was awesome to have them here you know, during, during our 9.30 service and being able to engage with them a little bit. Um, is this right? Like, you set the budget, you set the guest list, yep. And, you, and then you kind of trim, yep, yep. And bacon-wrapped scallops, no, we're not doing bacon-wrapped scallops. I'm like, what? Not bacon-wrapped scallops? Now, I know where their wedding reception is, and the food will be fantastic. Um, even without the bacon wrap. Even without the bacon wrap scallops. But you know, it got me thinking, not, in, not during the sermon, but like, what, is, like, what, is the, what is the most popular wedding hors d'oeuvre? I don't know about in the day, but like... Oh, back, well, like I said, in a uh, uh, first century Jewish culture, I am absolutely positive bacon-wrapped scallops were not a thing. I'm pretty sure that uh, was not even... They're not uh, real kosher. Was not exactly considered <laughs> yeah, an yeah, option. There's, there's nothing about a bacon-wrapped scallop that's kosher in any way, shape, or no. form. No, 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 no. That's why they're so good. Um, <laughs> So what? So I'm. This is a way tangent. So one of my one of my friends. I'm in. I'm in a fantasy, a, a dynasty fantasy football league, and one of my Jewish friends, his um, fantasy football team name was Kosher Bacon. <laughs> that, okay. So I, that's not a thing. But okay. you know what mine was? What what yours was? Demonic swine. Oh, there you go. One of my favorite stories in the one of, one of the most interesting stories in the gospel. The demonic swine and the kosher bacon. Demonic swine. So I thought that we were kind of going like with this like pig theme or like farm animal theme for naming our teams, and I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor. Demonic swine. That'd be awesome. Animal farm. And like it. That's not where it went, but whatever. It was fun. Sorry. Anyway. Um, so I, I think you also have to understand in the context, not just that weddings were a three-day affair and not just, you know, a couple hours. couple hours and you're good, but also how much the honor and shame system played into it, played into yeah. and existed well, and back it makes, in and it, the it makes day. you wonder what the relationship was here because Mary's very concerned that this family not be shamed. Yeah. Well, and I wondered that too, and I, I kind of tease like that part. My, my guessing, I'm guessing it's a relative. Right, because Mary and like Jesus and all the disciples were there. Well, yeah. how do they know? How do they know the guest? Yeah. You know, well, the, and, the, bride, the bride of the groom. And realize these are pretty small communities. Right, that, right. Yeah. But, and, and Mary very obviously had a vested interest, yeah. right? Yeah, she, like, was, she was very concerned that, that there was going to be... Yeah. Um, Bad repercussions for running out of wine. And here's the reality. There would have been. Oh, yeah. Like, like if your family runs out of wine at a wedding now, it's like, okay, whatever. You know, maybe some people are mad. But it, do, it doesn't have economic and social impacts that yeah, ripple through they generations. They didn't get the here's your ticket for your two free. Right. Because <laughs> we didn't right. do... <laughs> doing open bar was not exactly um, in our budget. <laughs> we did open bar. Oh, yeah, that's, that's... But we capped it. Okay, well... I think we did open bar. Or maybe we did a short period... I don't know, I drank for open free. Open bar for an hour or something like that? I drank for free. Well, yeah, so did I, but... And then after the reception, 
we had friends of ours get a party bus, and then uh, we went out. Well, I guess I shouldn't say I drank for free. I paid for that wine. Oh, <laughs> Let's oh put yeah. It that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I paid for that. I wine. didn't. I didn't dole out extra money at my wedding. But anyway, so so like this this family, this couple, there would have been huge ramifications. You know, likely vocational. Well, we're not going to employ or work with, or you cannot work for us um, because your wedding. Yeah, it was a train wreck. Well, and, and we're not, and you're not gonna, you know, as far as marrying off other kids, nope, not happening. I mean, you were, I mean, you were set back. Well, and not just the 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 person who's having the wedding, but their steward, because the steward is, you know, the one who gets mentioned here and is all like, "Woo!" Um, the steward is the one who basically this is going to fall on. And because that would have been, you know, it's kind of like um, if you had hired, say, a wedding coordinator and the wedding coordinator's the one who blew yeah. much wine and yeah. you would be like, not going to hire that person again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, that would have, that would have fallen on, on, on the, the, basically the servants yep. uh, for, for misjudging. I mean, yes, it reflects badly on the host, but more so. Yeah. There, know, I mean, in, in, terms, in terms of basically, you know, it's one of those things where your employees are a reflection of you. So guess who's going to get fired? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so there's just ramifications in this story that we don't deal with today on the same level. Now, we still, unfortunately, we still work very heavily in an honor and shame society. But it, it doesn't look the same. Well, and it's, um, you know, like something like that would probably not have quite the consequences. Um, well, you know, it kind of depends. I, I mean... It, so in my, in my circles? In our circles, no, it wouldn't no. count. But it would, it, it, would, it would be a problem in some of the upper... Right. You know, you run out of stuff at Correct. A, a, a swanky, hey, I just paid $10,000 for X, Y, and Z, and you don't have enough stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you ran out my of... Circles, you, my circles, it becomes a... Dude. You ran out of crystal, what? Yeah. <laughs> Keystone light. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I don't even like beer, and I know that that's like, no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in this story when you really start digging into, you know, beyond the, uh, hey, that's a neat party trick. I wish right. I, I, I could do that yep. kind of thing. So I, I ultimately focused on, on, so it's interesting, in John's gospel, John does not refer to her as Mary. It's Jesus' mother. Right. Um, so Jesus' mother um, I focus on her line to the steward. It's it, it, everything is relational. Yeah. There's not a lot of names. Um, there are occasionally. I mean, you get the Samaritan woman. Um, the I, the one guy the one guy who kind of gets named that sort of has this recurring role is is um, the Pharisee Nicodemus. Yep, and he's coming up not next week but the following. I Probably, think. Probably. Yeah, he's chapter three because yeah. then followed up by the Samaritan woman in yeah. chapter four. Um, so, so one of the things I, I, I kind of, John uses parentheses all through the gospel. 
Yeah, we talked about that a week ago. Right, or so ago. right. And <laughs> I'm mad that in those parentheses, he doesn't give us like body language or facial expressions or in, inflection. So Jesus ultimately gives in, right? Jesus instructs the stewards. Right. But how does he do it? Is he kind of like whispering like, hey, go fill the jars with water and take some to the chief steward. Does he make like a big production about it? Is he kind of flipping about it? Like, I'm just curious because we know he was reluctant. Ultimately, it doesn't make, have any, any bearing on the story. But I'm just always curious, you know, how Jesus responded. Um, and then especially this week after reading, you know, knowing that we're doing the um, cleansing of the temple, we talk about Jesus being angry. So like, was Jesus like kind of flippant, like, go fill the jars with water and take some to the steward? Or was he kind of like, like, like big production-y flamboyant about it? You know, how, was, how does he instruct the stewards? But ultimately, I, I, I chose to focus on at least the back end of the sermon on, on Jesus' mother's instruction to the stewards, or to the servants. Listen, do, do what he tells you. Right. And then it occurred to me, you know, what does Jesus tell us to do? Well, there's really only two, two commands that Jesus gives us. Love God, love your neighbor. And go and make disciples. Like, those are the only two, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, are really, like when you boil it all down, those are really the only two things that Jesus tells us to do. And then we talked about how easy it is you know, to love God and love your neighbor. And then, of course, everybody laughed because like, we stink at that. So there's another um, aspect to this story that we don't really consider. Were Jesus' disciples invited or did they just show up? Wedding crashers. And that's why they ran out of wine. What? Don't know. I mean, I kind of, well, I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. So the, the, best, part, the best part of the sermon for me was not in worship. It was in confirmation class. Okay. So I got the confirmation. And the, the, confir the confirmation students you know, have a little sheet to kind of take notes, ask questions, those sorts of things. So you look confused. No, keep going. Okay. I, I'm just, I'm counting and I'm like, oh, confirmation was this, I, I, I was thinking confirmation was this coming weekend. It should have been, but it's President's Day, or it's Martin Luther King weekend, so we moved it up a week because of people traveling for the weekend, the long weekend. Got it. So okay. yeah, that's why, you're, that's why I thought you were confused. But anyway, <laughs> so we had confirmation last week. So one of the students, uh, well, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. So I really played out this, you know, with, with the congregation, you know, what Jesus tells us to do, right? And, you know, love God, love your neighbor, and then go and make disciples, and how we really stink at both of those, right? And I think the reason we stink at go make disciples is because we haven't figured out the go love your neighbor part. But when we figure all that out and do as Jesus tells us, then we get the good wine, we get the good stuff. Not actually wine, but the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So one of the confirmation students asked, what's the good stuff? Man, that's an awesome question. So we got to talk about, you know, what is... What is the good stuff? Now, here is where, here is where being good a pastor... Good things come to those who wait. 
Here's where being a pastor is like awesome. So listening to them discuss what the good stuff was. And here's, I I don't want to, I will give away the ending in a minute, the ending of that conversation. But never once was the good stuff stuff. It wasn't a new PlayStation. It wasn't a new, you know, skateboard or you know whatever right it was that was never part like they immediately dismissed the idea that the good stuff in life is stuff and i'm like man that is awesome like so at least on that level you get it and then we kind of talked about what that meant and you know for one one of our confirmations just like the good stuff is is a is a is a good relationship with god like man that's awesome you know, and it was like, oh, well, you know, good stuff is our relationships and, and, and thing, things like, I'm like, man, that's awesome. So you got it. That was amazing. Then the other, another question out of, you know, off of the sermon, out of confirmation was, how do we know what Jesus wants us to do? Which is a basic fundamental question mm-hmm. that I think we can, you know, we, we all kind of have it, yet we all kind of scoff at it. But how do we know what Jesus wants us to do? Now, I think we can agree that it would be awesome if there were like neon signs like flashing everywhere we went or road signs that, you know, everywhere we went told us exactly what we were supposed to do at exactly that time. It doesn't really work that way. But we got to the point in the discussion where there was an understanding and a recognition that in order to know what God best wants us to do, we have to have a better understanding of God, which means we have to know Scripture, and we have to be in that relationship with God in order to know what God wants us to do, and that that gives us a better chance at making the right decisions in those critical moments. Yeah. Ah, like, like magical moment. Magical, insightful moment with the confirmation students. And, it, and it's, I mean, they're right, like, Mm-hmm. There, isn't, there isn't anything that gives us a 100% right answer. And we don't, none of us, like not you, not me, not anyone in the congregation, nobody always makes the right choice. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> but we're better able to make the right choice more often the, the better our relationship is with Scripture and... Uh, you yada, know, yada, sometimes yada. I don't even look at it as, quote, the right choice. I look at what's the, the, the faithful choice. Right, correct, correct. Of, of there, are, there are choices I disagree with with some people, but I can't say that they're being unfaithful to how they understand Scripture. It, you know, they're being faithful to their understanding. Yeah. I mean, I may disagree with their understanding, but they are being faithful to it. Yeah. And therefore, for them, they're making the right decision. Um, right. And, and that becomes, you know, that, that weird place that we live in always when we are working with scriptural interpretation is um, that there are usually multiple ways to interpret it. And sometimes those different ways of interpreting it are going to take you down a different path. Yes. And... And it really does, how you interpret certain things is going to shape your understanding and your relationship with God. Yep. And I think that's where it's really important. 
Um, and, and again, we've talked about this, you know, outside of this podcast and on this podcast. You know, it's, it's, sometimes, it's really easy to cherry pick a piece of scripture yep. and say, oh, this piece of scripture says that this is what you should do. And it's like, okay, but let's look at the larger context. Let's understand the historical context. Let's understand the entire arc of scripture. I, and I th- I'm 99.9% I'm sure we've used this example. You can justify slavery in scripture. Oh, yeah. You can figure out ways to... to but you can't look at the whole arc of Scripture and you can't understand Jesus' ministry and come to that same conclusion. No. You just can't. Well, it's kind of like uh, this morning somebody pointed out, they said, so Paul says that it is, it's bad for men to have long hair. And yet... There is this whole sect called the Nazarites, which are forbidden from cutting their hair. So, obviously, if you're a Nazarite, you're going to have long hair. But here's Paul saying, um, you know, it's shameful for a man to have um, long hair. And if you want to just pull something out of context and, 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 you know, grab something to then, quote, you know, just apply it across the board... You're not looking at the whole of Scripture. Yeah, Paul said that. But we also have all this other stuff that says, well, maybe Paul was addressing a particular issue because that doesn't hold water when you think about other, other things, other things that are going on um, within Scripture. And I just kind of, that to me was like one of those perfect examples of Here's Paul stating something that you could easily grab hold of and just say, okay, um, you cannot, you know, you cannot have long hair. Did they have barber shops? <laughs> but you can't have long hair because, if you're a man because Paul said so. Huh. And it's like, okay, and yet there are all these other places where that's actually a way to live out a, your holy dedication to God is to never cut your hair, which means you're going to have long hair. Um, and, well, in the whole Samson and Delilah story, you know, Samson yeah. getting his hair cut, that, that did it. That but it wasn't at a barbershop, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know if they had barbershops back then. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't have, though, come to think of it. I mean, I'm assuming people have always had, I don't know if they did it to themselves. Or so the. so I'll, admit, I'll admit bias. Um, I almost, I almost said, well, Jesus had long hair. Oh. Right. Because oh. there's so many pictures that show Jesus with this long flowing hair. And I'm like, right. But the more historically accurate, what we believe to be myth is, more historically accurate recreations of what Jesus actually looked like weren't well, Jesus' long, flowy hair. Well, some of the hair. earliest artwork of Jesus, if you start getting into some of the, you know, the catacombs, et cetera, et cetera, um, some of the, you know, artwork in Syria, it's, he has short hair. Right. Um, the longer hair doesn't come in until much later right. in terms of, of his depictions of, of having the long hair. Um, so, again, it's that, how does art influence? Right, right. How, you know how we how we view. <laughs> yep. But no, I, 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 that that's the thing as well. Is it, it it's one of those 
Well, but Paul says men should not have long hair, but we tend to depict Jesus with long hair. So, yeah, what do we do with that? What, yeah. what are you, you know, what, what are you going to do with that? And that, but that becomes for me the sort of um, illustration for the dangers of taking something that say someone like Paul says in a letter to a congregation um, dealing with particular issues and cultural things going on at the time and saying, okay, this is for all times, all places across the board throughout the church. Yeah. And as I'm sure you know, I'm thinking specifically of one particular issue, but... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jet's like, huh, I have no idea what that would be. I, that huh is, do you jump into those waters? Oh, no. I mean, we're, we're talking wedding at Cana, so we, we probably ought to stick to that. So we're not, gonna, we're, we're not going to talk to that. We're, what was the gender gonna... makeup of the couple? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um but yeah, no, I mean, that becomes, the, and, but seriously, that becomes where yes. uh, you have a whole bunch of, of people who are willing to divide the body of Christ over these issues, like over hair. interpretation and, and understanding. And this is why the church is so fragmented, is how do we understand some of these stories? It would be it, interesting to create some sort of flowchart or Venn diagram of... Um, like what we actually agree upon and don't, or like the ways in which we divide. So like baptism, same-sex marriage, you know, hair length, <laughs> women, you know, women ordination, you know, women's ordination slash leadership in the church, you know, all of those things. It'd be really interesting to put that, and I'm sure somebody's done it. Um, well, and let's face it, one of the ways in which um, we're going to divide as well is over how literally you take a story like the yeah. wedding at Cana. I think, I think, unfortunately, you know, right now, one of the things that's really problematic is the way in which we divide ourselves as churches is based on politics, which yeah. is horrific. I mean, let's be honest, it's happening. Yeah. Oh, well, you know... This church, is, this church is a liberal church or this church is a conservative church and my politics don't align so I can't, I can't do that church. Which is, I, I'm just going to call it, call it what it is. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, Jesus wasn't liberal or conservative. On some issues, he would fall, you know, in line with liberals. What we would call today liberals. And in some areas, he would fall in line with what we consider today conservatives. We divide churches are currently in our current political climate. Hyper political that we're bringing, we're bringing into, we're bringing our politics into our religion. Yeah, right through from, the front door. Yeah, um, and not in the way that it's meant to be. Right. I mean, so yeah. So let's clarify that because I, I, you and I both agree that religion. The gospel's political. Yes. I mean, I mean, it has political implications. Yes. No matter what, how how you spin it, there there are political implications always to the gospel. Yep. And um, you you can't get around those because Jesus wants us to live in certain ways that are going to rail against um, the way we're set up as society 
And yep. so therefore, um, there are political implications. Yep. Um, <clears throat> the flip side though, is when you start um, bringing whatever your political ideology is into the church from the standpoint of now I'm going to impose my politics on the gospel. Correct. I think there's a very different way of, uh, that, that, that's a very different thing than using your gospel, using the gospel to inform how you understand your politics versus using politics to how you understand the gospel. Correct. Ag um, agree, agree completely. And, Ag agree completely. And, and, and to be fair, there are those who are going to take the gospel and, and understand it in such a way that they go a different way than somebody else politically. I mean, it, it, again, it kind of depends on what parts you're going to um, glom onto, um, wh which parts you're going to elevate and say, this is, this is the part that's more important versus this part, um, and really, really push that. And it, it, let, let's face it, I think we all have things that resonate with us more so than others, depending on... Right. How you understand it, what, where you're living, what your, um, what your social status is, et cetera, et cetera. Things are going to just resonate with you differently. And therefore, you're going to align yourself with some of those things a little bit more than you would something else that's more important to, say, someone else. Saying, no, no, this is what we really need to be focusing on. Um, and I think that's part of where we, we get some of the, the muddling. But to get back to kind of this, this uh, issue in terms of, of John's gospel. The, the, the wedding at Cana, so, so Cana itself actually kind of keeps reappearing in John's gospel. Right, we come back to Cana again. Yeah, we, we're going to come back to Cana again eventually, um, and actually not too far. <laughs> um, I think it's in like chapter four he comes back. I think so. Um, and, and Cana gets met... Uh, mentioned where there's the, the healing of um, an official son in, in Capernaum, um, I think is where he, he returns to Cana, because Cana is within that area of C Capernaum. And, you know, so then it becomes a question sort of, of so what, what, what is the... Um, what's the, the symbolic nature of that particular area and city that he kind of keeps coming back to and miracles, you know, sort of being performed in that, in that region, thinking about it from the standpoint of this is actually up in the area of, of Galilee and not down in the area of Mm -hmm. Judea. But he goes, a lot, he goes back and forth a lot more um, in John's gospel. Again, the rearranging kind of thing that we've been talking about, where synoptic gospels, he does not enter into like Jerusalem, Judea until the very end of his ministry, whereas by chapter two, Jesus is in Jerusalem, you know, flipping tables and, yeah. and doing stuff. And so it has a very different, just has a different structure, this different way of coming at things. And I think any time that you're interpreting and understanding your scriptures, you need to understand 
those different structures that are at play and, and what they mean and why they're there. And yeah. we don't, and, and let's be fair, we don't necessarily know why John wrote it this way. No. We, don't, we don't know what was going on in his head. There's some scholarly guesses and things yeah. like that, but it's... So it's, it, kind of, it's kind of like when you look at a piece of artwork and you're like, I don't really know what the artist meant by this. Is that an ear or is that... We, so we, we famously <laughs> had a piece of artwork at the church, right, that was hanging in the main office that we would look at and go, what is that? Oh, the one that was behind uh, the, the youth the, director desk? Right. Yes. And we would look at it and go, well, is it... And we would turn sideways, cock your head. And at one point, there were like three of us discussing what, this, what the heck this thing was. And none of us were even close to the same page. No, no. So, perfect example. Yeah. No. Well, and as an artist, I, I think one of the most interesting things I have ever... Um, dealt with or come across is when I first started painting um, things that were a little bit more kind of symbolic in nature and I would show it to somebody and they would be like oh I see this and mm. this is what it meant to them and I was like oh huh okay <laughs> I was like that's not where 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 I was at when I painted it um, you know, that was not the yeah. necessarily what I was trying to convey, but that's what they were getting out of it. And what I think I really learned to appreciate about that entire process was, okay, yeah, so here's my, you know, what I'm trying to express. Now, now granted, there are a few things that absolutely you kind of know what I'm getting at, um, but a lot of times it's, you know, there, there, there are these images that have so many different ways to be understood and they mean different things to different people based on their experiences. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going, how often is that true for us in Scripture where how you hear a story really is going to resonate with your own experiences and you're going to see different things than somebody else is going to see, or you're going to hold on to some, some part of it that, you know, would never even occur to somebody else to understand it that way. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> preaching is that way too. <laughs> you know, yes. very, very much so. <laughs> and, and, and on multiple levels. I mean, the, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, the idea of law and gospel, what's law to one person's gospel and other vice versa. I said, but... But, but, and that's always a thing. But it's also interesting, you know, how many times, you know, we've written a sermon and it just didn't quite resonate with us. Right. Like, I wrote it and not that I didn't believe what I preached, but I just, it, I just, it was okay. I didn't feel it. I, did, I was like, man, this is an awesome sermon. I'm, Yes. And then on the way out the door, someone stops and says, thank you so much. I needed to hear that. And you go, huh? Yep. I don't even know what you heard. So this week, there were multiple people like, Pastor, that was your best sermon ever. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I went back and I'm like, why? Right. Like, like what? 
Like, what about like, that? Do you just really like wine? Um, <laughs> they like they like talking about wine. And did you hit the wine hard at communion? Um, like I and again, I thought it was I, I was happy. Like I wrote the sermon. Like yeah, I like this. I'm happy with this. Do do I think it was the best sermon I preached? I don't know. Best sermon I preached since I've been here. I don't know. Um, it's it's interesting what what does and doesn't resonate with people because um, I've had the same experience multiple times, and I've also had the experience of you preach a sermon, and somebody comes and they tell you what they got out of that sermon, and it's not even, and you're like, how did you hear that? Yes, yeah, that too. Well, <laughs> I'm like, how? I Especially so, when it's the exact opposite of what you were trying to convey. So famously, you know where I'm going with this, David and Bathsheba was part of the lectionary. Was, <laughs> was it my, it was, I think it was my first, it was early on in my time here. It was early on, but it was when we were doing, when we first started the narrative lectionary. Right. So it was about three years ago. Yeah, thereabouts. But that's about. Yeah, that's about when you started. Right. Because you're, you're, um, right. you'll be, you're on your three and a half year mark. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was so it was early on in my in my time here, and the text was David and Bathsheba, and I I don't think I could have been more explicit. Apparently, I'm wrong in saying that this is not an opportunity to blame Bathsheba for luring David, and I said it. That way, and in, in several... Oh, you were very clear. I remember the sermon. Yes. Sev several ways to be abundantly clear. Bathsheba was not at fault. Is, is, yes. I mean, you just flat out said Bathsheba was not at fault. And, and then, and then through the sermon, laid out why. Yeah. Like, like there was no... I, I didn't think there was any gray area whatsoever. There wasn't, no. We had, so, we had someone come in, our off, come in the office... And, and share a story about them talking about that sermon and discussing whether or not Bathsheba Lord David. <laughs> and I'm like, you were here Sunday. <laughs> like, you heard the sermon. I multiple times in multiple ways very bluntly said, and, and not, just, not just for someone to take it at face value, but like laid out the why. Like, why this was not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Completely missed it. Which is, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, at least, at least they heard you at some point say Bathsheba was not the one doing this that sparked the conversation for them to discuss I, whether or not they think or that. maybe they maybe it did i mean who knows I, maybe I don't they're know. just like they they're my, looking my, at the my story guess is they were maybe just, disagreeing with your your who knows your premise i don't know is is they were disagreeing with your premise and we're trying to figure out how how to still well and that's something we do too don't we we cling to something We've always understood a story a certain way. Yes. And when a new way gets introduced, we have one or two reactions. We either go, oh, I've never thought about it like that. Which I love that response. Yeah. Which, mean, which means you've paused, you've heard, and you're processing. Now, ultimately, you may not come out and say, you're right, I agree. And, and that's, that's neither here nor there. It's that, it's that ability to say, 
I never thought of it that way. And and I'm we ha- and, and I got to process this. We have a member in the congregation that does that pretty regularly. Yeah. And when this person says it, you can literally see the wheels turning as that person is processing. And that that's. I, that's again. That's one of those like confirmation moments yeah. with the confirmation students, where you know, they're 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 hearing something, they're absorbing it, and they're processing it and going, "Oh, let me." I gotta think about that. I gotta think and about it, that, and then and, and that digest. happens to me all the time. Like there, there's. I mean, you and I have many discussions where I'm like, I'll be like, you know, this was. I I just saw you know this story presented in this way, and I don't know what I think about that yet. Yep. You know, it's that I'm I'm. Yep. I I think I have to think on this a little bit yep. more. I've got to look at, you know, I've got to look at kind of more over what what are the implications of understanding it that way, and how does that change? Because it can change everything. Or I mean, or that ver- or that verse that just yeah. stands out in a time when I've read the wedding at Cana story. I don't know how many times. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty popular at weddings, you know, obviously, um, and that line from quote Jesus's mother has never stood out to me before. And in this case, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Why did why did that grab it grabbed me? So, that that's one way that people respond. Um, the other way is that they immediately respond with but that's not the way I understand this story and so it has to be wrong. Right. Um and and it's just an immediate dismissal of the 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 interpretation and the understanding right and, and um, I think one of the struggles that people have with that is that the Bible's old so why yeah so so why haven't we understood it this way before or it can't be different like yeah. it's 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 old and it's concrete and we forget that it's the living word and that it speaks anew the beauty of the beauty of scripture the beauty of the Bible is that it can be interpreted and reinterpreted as as we as society grow and evolve and learn and discover new things, you go, oh, wait a minute. You hold it in the current, 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 in the historical context in which it was written or the literary context in which it was written, but there are very few things in Scripture that are concrete. Right. Love it God, is. love your neighbor. Right? I mean, that's kind of concrete. It is and it isn't because, you know... The command is concrete, how 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 we live it out. Yes. Yes. And and we still continue to ask the question that the... uh, Was it this lawyer, the scribe, or whoever um, asked Jesus, which is, so who is my neighbor? We ask that question a lot. Right, because we we don't like the answer. Yeah, we, we continue to ask that question over and over and over again of determining, well, who's my neighbor? Yeah. Um, because, you know, we, we, when we start discussing um, who, who we're going to care for, it usually is going to be, well, obviously, first and foremost, I'm going to care for me and my own. Yes. And anything outside of that, if there's room or there's an abundance, then maybe we can deal with that as opposed to saying, um, no, I need to take care of my neighbor 
as much as I need to take care of me and my own. Yes. And, and putting it on the same level is very difficult for us. It is. Because why, why do I care about that stranger? I know nothing about them. These are the people I know, I love, I care about. Um, so wh one of the things that some people have, have said to me recently that um, breaks my heart a little bit is, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of people are just kind of like, well, you know, if you're healthy, just get it, let's get it over with. And I'm like, but I have a lot of people in my sphere who this could kill. And I'm just, I guess, not quite as at liberty to adopt that understanding or that kind of nonchalant attitude towards it because I recognize that, okay, so this person, this person, this person um, will probably be fine, but this person won't be. And don't I need to care about this one person who won't be okay? And, and, and that's, that's kind of my struggle right now that we're, we're dealing with where we're having to look at mitigation and things like that versus let's just get on with life. And who, who, who is not able to get on with life right now? And what is our responsibility towards the people that are not able to get on with their life because they know that this could kill them? Well, I think it's how do we, for, for me, it's how do, we, how do we keep moving and, and also care for it. You know, make sure that, that there's, there's layers of protection or options or alternatives in place for that person. Right. And that's, that's where... That's where it's challenging. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had a friend who's not a church person, you know, just a um, day or two ago. It's kind of like, you know what? You're going to get it regardless. You know, sooner or later, you're going to get it. So just get it over with, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, but I'm in a position where I'm around people who are vulnerable. So that's maybe not the best option for me <laughs> to just throw in the towel and say, I'm just going to get it. And, you know, if I spread it to somebody, I spread it to somebody. Yeah, but I think, I think, it, I it, think, but I, so I'll push back a little bit, it, just in the sense that for me, throwing in the towel is I'm not going to do anything. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw all my masks away and never wear a mask. I'm not going to be vaccinated or No, this sick. was somebody who wanted me. I said, no, I, I have friends who have COVID. I'm not going to see them. And they're like, well, why bother? You know, you might as well go see them. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to walk into that situation. I'm yeah, just not going to do it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. You know, unless the, it's a situation where they need me for something. So one, and, one of and, our... And I need to, and then I will still protect myself as much as possible, but if they need me for something, yes, I will walk into that situation. But yeah. just because I want to see them because they're my friend and I'm really bummed that we didn't get to hang out, no. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And we experienced... So my, my, my best friend was coming to visit this summer um, and had, we had not seen each other for a couple of years. And... She's getting married, so her fiance was coming with her, and I hadn't met him yet. 
and you know, we had all this cool stuff we were ready to do. We were excited. Well, the day before she came, the day before she was due in, Anna Mae, you know, was sick. And we're like, oh, man, this can't be. Not now. Not now! And it ended up, she, Anna, you know, Anna Mae had COVID. And we're like, man, you know, what did we do? So we called, you know, we called, I mean, she literally flew down. Now, luckily, his family had, they were flying into Orlando because they had family in Orlando. He had family in Orlando. So I called her and was like, hey, so I know that the whole idea of this trip was to hang out and all, but yeah. Anna well, tested positive. I was, yeah, I was out in California this week so um, visiting my parents, and I was going to see a friend of mine who um, lives in L.A., and the morning of got a text message saying, hey, woke up with a fever and a sore throat. Um, I'll think about, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I can't come up, but I'll consider, and I just was an immediate, no, you're not coming. You know, I was like, I, I, my, my mom's immunocompromised. My, my father has, um, is a cancer survivor. I'm like, I'm, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, and for me, that's the biggest thing. Like, when we have vulnerable, when we're vulnerable or have vulnerable people, it changes the, it changes the level. So, right. so, so, so it, like it wasn't, I was worried about me. Yeah. I, I was not concerned about me getting out. I'll, yeah. I'll grant you based on my reactions to the vaccine. Um, not a fan of what it might potentially do um, and how I'm going to feel. So really don't want it from that standpoint. Um, but the flip side of that is, is the, the people I was around, I'm like, right. I, I can't, I can't give it to them if I can, I, or, you know, I really don't want to give it to them because I know it's going to have a far worse effect on them than it probably would have on me, a healthy, almost 50 year old woman. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Not, not 50 yet. Not it, 50 yet. It's not, it's not today. <laughs> I've got one more year. You have what, 360 how many days? <laughs> um, 363. <laughs> the Emanuel Countdown. Although if you think about it, technically this is my 50th year. That's true. If, if, you, if we counted... Um, yes. If we counted birthdays the same way we actually count what year it is. That's true. But we don't. But we don't. So, um, but yeah, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, it seems like the command to love your neighbor is very concrete. And yet when you get into the muck and the mire of human life, I just, it is a bigger struggle than we realize. I just wish we could do it in concrete terms. I, yeah. you know, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, you're right. There's a, lot, there's a lot of variation. Yes. I just wish we could do it in just some basic. So I, I, stopped at, I stopped at Publix yesterday to grab something, and I'm walking out of the parking lot, and there's this guy behind this other, this other and he's just laying on his horn, yelling out the window. And I'm like, the lady's trying not to run over the people in the crosswalk. Like, why are we being, like, if we could just take love your neighbor and, and just, a, maybe, maybe we need to amend it, right? To, 
don't be a jerk. <laughs> like, forget love your neighbor. Because, okay, so I believe that love your neighbor is really born out of Jesus understanding that we are not going to get to Ten Commandments. We're not going to remember ten. Love God, love your neighbor, and encompasses all you can remember that. I think we need to simplify it even more and just say, don't be a jerk. And let's start there. Yep. All right, so that's your message for this week um, from somehow the wedding of Cana is don't be a jerk. Um, which kind of fits. I mean, you know, it's, it's Jesus trying to, to not be a jerk and, and actually, like, help out. And, and, and do something he didn't want to do. Jesus yeah. didn't want to turn didn't the water into wine, but he did. Because he didn't want to be a jerk. There we go. Yeah, Bam, we did it. Don't be a jerk. All right. Uh, so next, next week, week, Jesus is the jerk that cleanses the temple. There you go. Flipping tables. That's All right. right. We'll see you next week. Peace.